Hi, this is Sid. I see that you're interested in making money from home. I have here a simple system that you can use to generate two to $5,000 or more per week. To find out more, simply press 1. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, podcast listeners, this is Ian, and welcome to the 300th episode of the Tropical MBA Podcast. And yet, this is the only, well, maybe the second time I've ever introed the show. Welcome, Dan. That's your hourly rate's too high to have you do your announcer voice. No, no, no. My hourly rate is right on par with our lawyer. <laughs> it's ridiculously high. That's another episode. For this episode, you know, a lot of people have been saying that we've been doing a lot of episodes focused on beginners. I got to say, I'm endlessly fascinated by how people use a mental model or a business model to go from zero to revenue. But today for our 300th episode, we are going to do a 300 level course. And today we're going to talk about how to create a culture that allows you to manage a multi-million dollar business, a micro multinational while you travel. And so you've managed to do this over the last year with six hours of phone calls a week. And we're not going to talk about necessarily those phone calls or what happens on them, but we're going to talk about the culture that holds everybody together and keeps them productive while you're living your rock and roll lifestyle. And by the way, our business is growing. It's growing a lot. And yeah, actually, we've been doing this for several years now. It hasn't just been the last year. I'd say this is probably the last two and a half years. I think this year we'll achieve almost 40% year-over-year growth. And that's in a seven-year-old business. So not bad. So we're going to get to that in just a second. I just want to say thanks to Sid for calling in at the top of the show. I think pretty much summed up the last 300 episodes pretty well. You know, basically, do you want to make two to five grand a month from home? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's more or less, more or less what we've been talking about. <laughs> do you do it from cold calling people? Maybe. Do I feel like I've arrived because some guy is spamming our phone number? Yes. <laughs> Let's get started. <laughs> the background of some of the things, you know, we haven't shared some of the things we're going to share here on the show, which I find pretty exciting, you know, in terms of what we've done in our business, you know, we've kind of talked about most of it on the show, but we're going to have some new boss man tidbits in here. And a lot of this comes from a talk that you gave at DC Barcelona, which I thought was fascinating. And I just wanted to ask you some follow-up questions about some of the things that I find interesting about your approach to management and building a culture. So the first thing is, is like you sort of lay out the problem. So we got four approaches in this episode to building a culture. But you sort of started to talk with this idea that we don't know anybody with the results that we're seeking that doesn't have a serious approach to team building. So what do you mean by that? What was kind of the idea there? I think everybody that I look up to that has a large multi-million dollar business, they all have teams. I was trying to think of one example of a company that's making five to $50 million that has only one person and I can't think of it. So if anybody's ever heard of this company, this solopreneur that makes that much money, please let me know because I've never met them. One of the things that we started to do about six years ago, almost immediately after starting our business was build a team. You were saying at that time you were working 60 hours a week. Yeah. And let me look at this little graph here. We were selling $25,000 
$10 worth of product a month. Correct. So that was basically you hammering that stuff together. Yeah, I would like put on another hat and then walk over to the phone and put on another hat. It was incredible. And it's probably more like 80 hours a week. So what was your revenue last month, for example? Let's take a look at this. It looks like it was over 300. It was over 300, yes. $300,000 a month. And you said you worked six hours per week. Is that a credible figure? It is absolutely credible, yes. On the one hand, you're saying this to brag. Fair enough. But on the other hand, I think you're trying to make a point here, right? Which is that these are the sorts of outcomes that can only happen with a team. Like at a certain point, you can't, as a solo person, impact a multi-million dollar business by just working really hard. Yeah, totally. So we got the team engaged and, and that's how I've been able to achieve that. Now, you know, people are probably thinking, what are you doing with the rest of your time? I'm trying to figure out ways with you to spin up new businesses and to use my time effectively on new ventures because as an entrepreneur, that's really what I'm focused on is trying to figure out how I can continue to be an entrepreneur, not a worker in my business. So it's really important that we hire people to work in our business and then I can go out and be an entrepreneur. So you come up with four approaches, lessons learned that you'd like to share with the audience. But first, you've decided to reveal a dirty secret. Yeah. Before I reveal the dirty secret, because there is a little bit of a dirty secret on how I think that you can get here a little bit faster than most. I just want to point this out. Back in 2010, I kind of had this epiphany. It was when I was starting to race motorcycles and it was taking up like a lot of my time. Like you would go and practice during the week and then you would prep and you would have three bikes and do all this maintenance. And all of a sudden I found myself having a part-time job racing motorcycles, but I really enjoyed it. And one of the things that I realized was that before in our business, Dan, that I kind of always wanted to be the hero in the business. You know, I wanted to take the trophy in the business. And I realized once I started hiring people that it's really important to give them the opportunity to take the trophy because there's a lot of good things that can come from that. It doesn't make so much sense to take the trophy in your business all the time because number one, you're not doing all the work if you have a team. And number two, it makes people feel good. I mean, it gives them a reason to work hard for you if they can see results and they can tie those directly to what they're doing. So I guess what I'm trying to say here, Dan, is like I was interested at some point in my business, and I think that this happens to everybody. I was interested in taking the trophy in other parts of my life, not necessarily in my business. And you can still have the master prize, which is owning this asset and not have to win all the little battles that come along with it. There's a bunch of other things that happen in our lives once we got to this level in our business. And by the way, like some people might object and say, of course, you guys can build a team because your sales level is at a certain rate, right? And so, of course, I think it's important that you start with the end in mind. So even if you're at that level right now where you feel like you can't hire people, I think approaching your business with this mindset, knowing that this is the direction you're ultimately heading, will affect the way that you build that business. And one other thing I want to mention in terms of being the hero in your business and life there's a lot of other changes that happened in our lives that coincided sort of with having a little bit more freedom from our business, more hobbies, more effective relationships, things like that. So these ventures, if you let them, can be quite draining at the beginning. And this is the way to have a little bit of a fuller life because it can be the case that entrepreneurship is the only thing that you do ever. If you want to, you know, right? Like if you listen to some of our earlier episodes and maybe even lately, we talk about optimizing like everything in your life basically to do more work. And and I think at a certain point, you're kind of like, well, all right, like I'm sick of optimizing just to work all the time. I'd like to have a more multifaceted life, <laughs> you know? Yeah, this is Danny in 2015 for sure. I mean, like three years ago, we we're like, work, work, work. Anyways, <laughs> as promised, I'm going to tell my dirty little secret. Nomads hate this word. I love it because I'm an entrepreneur. And if you're an entrepreneur, you should love it too. The dirty little secret is that in San Diego, California, we have an office. It is not a co-working space. 
It is not a warehouse. It is an office, although we do have an office. Here's a trick, and I think that this is important for all entrepreneurs to understand, is that the office is not for me and you to go to, Dan. It's for our team members to go to. And the efficiency that we've seen from this office, I think is pretty impressive. We have these philosophical arguments all the time about whether or not you need an office. And I think it's changing with the tools, with Skype, everything like that is changing. But back in 2007, when we started our business, we were seeing massive efficiencies from having everybody kind of in the same room and working on these problems together. I think these days, you know, you'll argue that you don't necessarily need one, but hey, this is how I did it. I will argue that. Yeah, this is how <laughs> I did it. And this is how we were successful. And I think that this will continue to be the case until we have Oculus Rift and we're looking at each other through virtual reality goggles. You know, you made a good point, which is you said, look, like one of the things that you've focused on over the last decade is effective communication, right? Like, you know, for all intents and purposes, you're an expert at communicating relative to the general populace. Now, the staff that you're hiring aren't necessarily experts at that sort of virtual communication, keeping things going. And so expecting them to be at that level, just to step into a remote working situation and excel is a high expectation. And so what you're basically saying is you're taking away that X factor and you're getting everybody into the same room. Now, we're probably not gonna do this with our next businesses, right? So one of the things that we're experimenting with is basically workcations, like pulling people together on a quarterly basis and having like one or two week sprints. And I know a lot of location independent businesses are doing that as well as, and this is a new one for me is time zone coordination. Just really understanding how much a time zone change can have an effect on a business. And if you're going to have a creative business, that collaboration is key. So having at least four hours of overlap a day, I would say is pretty important to getting work done. Agreed. Yeah. Like I said, I think that the landscape is kind of changing because the tools are evolving. Look, if you're in a city and you know that you want to be in that city and you already have people working for you in that city, it might not be the worst idea to put them all under the same roof. Right. And you go here one to two times a year. Yeah. So it's not like you're hanging out at the office all the time, but our staff is. Absolutely. The office point aside, the dirty little secrets off your chest. Let's talk about the four ways to build a culture. And I love your first one. It's cut your salary in half. What are you talking about? I'm talking about in the beginning of your business, you have to make sacrifices in order to be able to afford this team. You know, I was talking to David Hehenberger. He's got Fat Cat apps going. Love that name, by the way. David was telling me about a very aggressive plan that he has. He's ramping up to start a SaaS business and he's taking a bunch of the money that he's making from his plugins. That stair-step approach. Yeah. yeah. He's taking a bunch of money that he's making from his plugins and he's putting it towards the SaaS business. And he told me flat out, he said, look, I pay my people more than I make. And I said, David, that's what it's all about. Because it really is. In the beginning, Dan, we paid our people much more than we made because we were building an asset. And I think that's important here. And this whole model is based on building an asset for several years. It's not a one-stop pop, get out, make a bunch of money. We're in it for the long run. This is a parallel to the advice that I'll give to people in jobs. I'll say optimize for learning, not for earning. Because going to a job that you're making 75 grand a year to one that you're making 55 grand a year, like that salary difference is never going to make the difference in your earning life. And I think the same is true and the same kind of challenge exists in early stage businesses where you pulling that $150,000 or $100,000 from your business in the first two or three years is not what's going to make the difference in your earning future. It's building an asset that's going to have a liquidation event, like that's going to be the difference maker in your life ultimately. So it's optimizing for that rather than taking the short-term win. 
as entrepreneurs, we've already understood that and made that choice. So see it to its logical conclusion, in other words, rather than getting to the first step on the entrepreneurial stair step and saying, yeah, it's good enough for me. I'm going to hang out here, which is basically you've made yourself another job. All right. So the second thing you say is make the culture about the business. Right. What do you mean by that? So an interesting thing happened a couple of years into our business. Once we had our first team members on board, you know, we're selling valet parking equipment, Dan, a very sexy industry. Incredibly interesting stuff. Incredibly <laughs> sexy. <laughs> Actually, I was very interested in these products for a long time. And we developed the best products in the industry by far. And we spent a lot of time working on that. But you get to a certain point where it's very hard to rally around that. So you have to figure out other things to rally around because three years into it, you've already made the best products. Where do you go from there? For us, you start caring about solving our customers' problems. And that meant helping small businesses. So these companies that are coming to us to buy this valet parking equipment, they're small businesses like us. And so it's like, hey, how can we help you guys do and focus on what you care about the most? Well, we can deliver you with these high-end solutions, but how can we really solve your problems? It's not really about the valet podium. You know what I mean, Dan? It's about how we can solve their problems. Is it less lead time? Is it less fuss on the email? You know, what can we do for you to work a little bit better in your business? This is what Carrie and David mentioned about greenback tax services, because they are in an equally unsexy industry talking about taxes. And, you know, I've made this mistake on the tropical MBA side where I put forth the benefits of, you know, travel and the lifestyle and things like that in an effort to attract talent. Right. But forgetting that that's not what's going to be long term sustainable. What's going to be long term and sustainable is people who love building communities on the Internet, people who love creating content content on the internet, people who are detail oriented and obsessed with those things. So in other words, like by dangling the lifestyle out there in front of employees, you send mixed messages from the beginning. At the end of the day, you want to build a team around people who are super pumped about the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. A corollary to this point, Dan, one of the things that we've always made the culture about in our company is about business because it's something that you and I are very passionate about. You know, I don't think that I could, with a good conscience, get on this mic and talk to all the entrepreneurs out there and then not spin my chair around and then talk to our team members about entrepreneurship too. You turn around and you're like, making the best valet podiums is the most important. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we believe in valet podiums. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so what we started to do a couple of years ago is we started to make the culture about the business. And one of the ways that we've done that is basically just had like an open book policy on our company. So it's like anybody can kind of approach me or you or our numbers and kind of dig into whatever they want to dig into. And I have a real passion for obviously you to teaching people how this stuff works. So it's really fun in our business when people get excited about business and how business works and you get to show these people firsthand that are working very hard for your business how to make it happen. Because I think what's going to happen to a lot of people in our company is they're going to go on and become entrepreneurs too. So it's already been the case. You've got a pretty good track record with that. You're doing all right. All right. Point number three, get everybody talking to each other and not through you. This is a pretty standard point. People make this kind of point all the time. So why did it jump out at you as something that you weren't doing? I had a wow moment like pretty late in the game. This is maybe like almost a year ago. It was a wow moment because I'd been doing it for the last probably five years, but this was kind of the last connection that I was holding on to. And it was basically the connection between sales and product development. Once I started to get sales and product development working together, I've realized that I freed up like 10 hours of time a week for me. It's something that I've been doing all along, but I just didn't realize I was doing it. Why did you miss it, by the way? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I was holding on to it because that was my area of expertise. 
you know, that's what I thought that I was like the best at in the company. So to be clear, this idea of being able to look at a new portable bar line and say, well, it needs this in order to reach this manufacturing price point and in order to have product market fit. So like you weren't allowing product development to talk directly to the salespeople. You were injecting yourself there. Exactly. Yeah. And I was acting as a bridge. The first thing that happened was I started to realize that the customers had more market intelligence than I did. So that was step number one. Step number two was getting sales and marketing to understand and interpret that information. So whether that means like write it down, remember it, whatever, they have to be very in tune with that because then they have to transition that information over to our designer. And our designer at the time was fairly new, so he didn't know so much about these industries. I think once you start to get a little bit of industry expertise, it's a lot easier to design these products. But imagine this guy didn't have any experience. So I was acting as the bridge between design and sales, basically. So you just threw a party, invited both of those people (laughs) there. Now you're working six hours a week. Exactly. It was a really cool moment because it was the last bridge that I was kind of holding on to. So as soon as I blew that up, they started talking directly. Our product development skyrocketed. And that's the interesting thing about our business, Dan, is product development is the number one driver of our business. And I was stifling that by kind of holding on to this communication channel. So I think it's really important in your businesses if you can get people talking talking together and not through you. Because honestly, that's where most of your time goes as a manager and a business owner. If you have to procure these relationships, that's going to be your new job. And so if you can get these people talking to each other, that's one last job that you have in your business. I can give a personal story because I've been lately having difficulty producing the podcast because we've been doing a lot of things behind the scenes that we're going to talk about very shortly and do a little tease. And, you know, we had an event recently, things got busy, one thing, another, and all of a sudden we had trouble finishing the show a few weeks. And I never really realized that there was a role there. I never saw as a role because I was just doing the work. Right. So, you know, I thought, well, I have a podcast producer and I have a copywriter and someone to put it up on the blog. And so, you know, all I got to do is show up and get on the mic. And it's like, no, actually not, because I got to figure out what to talk about and who to talk about with and do that creative work. And even though I didn't have a clear idea of how many hours that was a week, it turns out that there's a real big chunk of creative energy there that was relying on me every week. And so we've resolved to get a producer for the show. Can we play the applause effect? You know, sometimes the best business advice is just, duh, it's just there in the air, you know, and you just didn't see it for whatever reason. And so, yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes for us too, but I can understand how you could not see this. Yeah. You just miss it. I mean, this is like five years into our business. Amazing. One other thing I think is interesting about what you've done is the way you run meetings. So you have these six hours a week, but you're only doing one-on-one calls. Yeah, I started doing this several years ago. This has to do too with the kind of blowing up the bridge between me and the different departments. So what we used to do is group calls. And if anybody has group calls in their company, they're, I mean, if you have more than two or three people, they're just wildly inefficient, I've found. And so what I've started doing was just meeting with the managers of the departments. And that way I can kind of understand what everybody's doing and kind of direct people to other people that I know are working on things. And this is worked very well for us. The other thing that happened because I did this was that the department started operating and managing their own phone calls and their own meetings with the other departments. And so it's basically just further blowing up this bridge that I had in the company. Here's one of the impulses and here's one of the reasons why it probably took me so long to do this is because having these group meetings and having all these calls and everything, it really helps you to understand and keep your finger on the pulse of your business, especially if you're not like working in your business on a day-to-day basis. On some level, it gives you that illusion of control 
control. But I think the bottom line is that you have to get people talking, intelligent people in your business talking to each other because they're going to have the biggest impact on your business. There's no way if I'm not working in the business that I can have the biggest impact on it. You know what I mean, Dan? It's like if I'm working six hours a week, like I'm at a 30,000 foot level and that's the level that I have to be operating on. Like it makes zero sense. And I think we've seen this in both of our businesses for us to like swoop in and act like we know what's going on. Like we have to change process at the top level because we see something that nobody else in the trenches can kind of see. One of the interesting things about these meetings that we learned is first off that they weren't productive at all. You hear stuff like that, you know, and it's just like, it's so hard to implement. Like, you know, you hear about these innovative entrepreneurs getting rid of meetings and then you're like, well, you know, you do need to meet, right? And it's like, turns out that you don't actually need to meet. What I've noticed is that when you have a bunch of people talking, there's this political talk that kind of comes up a little bit rather than when you're doing one-on-ones, it's just you get stuff done. Does that make sense? Totally. That's why we started doing it. This is pretty high-level stuff. I'd like to mention that the fourth approach is this processes manual that we've gone into great depth on our blog and on this podcast about how to build out processes. Is there anything you want to mention about how that's evolved for you over the last few years? Yeah, I think our SOPs and our standard operating document is really important. It's the brain center of the business. One of the things that I do a little bit different than you do, Dan, is I have like these department management pages and that's where our conversation happens. So when I have a call with sales, we go to our document and that's basically where our conversation happens. And I think this is important for a couple of different reasons. And I think I've said this on the show before, but when I implemented this one page, like my email volume got cut by like 50 or 70%. So it means like no back and forth emails between sales management and me because we put all of our notes in this document. And when we get on a call twice a week, we just go down through the list and that's what we talk about. And I've found for me personally that I can bang through these ideas much faster on the phone than I can on email. And I just hate email. I don't know about you, Dan, but I just despise it in a lot of ways. And so creating that page has been really important and I recommend it. All right. So Ian, just to sum up, this is the future for any multi-million dollar business. Micro multinational is building a team that will be the core of your long-term asset. What I'm seeing happen is like a lot of the sort of emotional triggers that bring people into this community is like things like freedom and flexibility and going around and all those things come from teams and all those things come from scale at this level. The people that are sustainably living around the world and having wealth and taking weeks off to ride their motorcycles. Like, sure, you can do that with other ways like minimalism or simplicity. And I'm all for that. But the truth is, is that if you want to do this over a many year period for the long term, building up a team is probably something that you're going to have to do. And so it's like, just get at it right from the beginning, you know, cut that salary in half, do what David's doing. He's taking the right steps, I believe. And, you know, I think people can have an emotional difficulty with that because you have to deal with people all of a sudden. It's a high contact sport. You do have to manage people. But I think, you know, what we've seen, you know, at the beginning of your talk, you were saying, you know, I used to work 60 hour weeks. I, you were still managing people. You were managing your clients. You were managing your customers. You were managing your terrible personal relationships probably. <laughs> and now fast forward, you're working six hours a week. And sure, you're still managing people, but those people have just changed. They have a culture. You know, they're managers instead of customers. Avoiding this stuff, avoiding investing in it and learning about it and getting engaged in it with your business could potentially hold you back. You know, all of these revelations that we've learned over the years the hard way, I wish we could have accelerated them all. 
Yeah. One final thought that I want to say here, Dan, on culture, you know, that's a very confusing word for me. And I think you and maybe some of the listeners out there, like I didn't truly understand, maybe I still don't understand exactly what culture means. But one thing over the years that I'm sure about is that it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean beanbags. It doesn't mean foosball tables. It doesn't mean barbecues. All that stuff sucks. And I think (laughs) you and I were in this business together, Dan, I was working for you. And the company used to have these like Friday barbecues where everybody would go outside and act like they liked each other. (laughs) (laughs) You and I would just stay in the office and work because that's what we were there for. We just thought like, yeah, I want to get really good at this product design stuff. I want to get really good at this management stuff. Why the hell would we go outside and eat chicken with these people? This is maybe my interpretation of culture. And what I've basically said is like, look, make the culture of your business about business because that's something that's sustainable for me to talk about and to preach for the next 20 years to team members. I can't act like I like foosball. And so if you can't act like you like foosball and like playing PS4 on your lunch break or whatever, don't do it. Just don't do it because I don't think it's really building a sustainable culture in your business. But I wouldn't mind just for the record having a foosball table in the office. So just... (laughs) I don't respect that at all. If you'd like to give us your thoughts or feedback, we'd love to hear it. This one is going to be at tropicalmba.com slash culture. And for those of you who've been around since the beginning, we know there's a couple handfuls of you since ep one. Thanks for sticking with us through 300. We're going to be doubling down and sticking with this thing. This is still our favorite thing that we do. So it's a real honor and pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.